Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, happy Survivor Week to you, friend. I know maybe <laughs> some of our listeners don't know that you have another Survivor podcast that is going deep into the strategy of Survivor, and season 42 is releasing this week. Yeah, I know to a lot of people who do not follow Survivor are going to be like, oh my god, 42 seasons, how has it been on so long, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I just got to tell you, it's like a fine wine. It just gets better with age. Survivor is killing it these days. It's so good. And I really, I do believe that anybody who, if you are listening to this podcast, if you're that into magic strategy that you're listening to Lords of Limited, I bet that you would like watching Survivor. And this is going to be a Magic the Gathering podcast you're listening to. But one more <laughs> quick plug as a Survivor convert, I would have thought Survivor was the dumbest thing on the planet until I started listening to Ethan's podcast and just started to appreciate the depth of the social strategy that is there. And it is delightful. Thanks, man. I'm glad you enjoy it. And that, I think just like even just converting one person, even just getting a Ben Warney to start liking Survivor, that's a big win for me. Yes. Amen. So happy Survivor Week to you, my friend. How are things going on the streets of Neon Dynasty for you? Good. I have been drafting a storm this week, and it's been awesome. I've gotten a chance to play a lot of things I haven't played yet. I crossed Oni Cult Anvil off the bucket list last night with a super sick red-black aggro deck that trophied. Played some blue-black ninjas. I've played five-color soup. I have been all across the board this week. I've either been super aggressive or very controlling with a lot of splish-splashing around. I want to pick your brain a little bit about the ninjas deck. Have you liked... like? doing all in blue black ninjas. I had the chance to do that for the first time myself. You know, we talked about blue black when we talked about black last week or two weeks ago, I can now not remembering, but uh, when we talked about black on the podcast, I remember talking about it as sort of like a, you know, more of a commie of terrible secrets style deck for me, but I finally got to do a true blue ninjas deck. How have you liked that strategy? I haven't been the hyper aggressive, all the commons that are good version. I've played more of the uncommon controlling commie of terrible secrets style where you get more of a ninjutsu value deck almost. But it was still very mm. fun and a lot of play decisions. Nice. Yeah, I had a really sweet deck the other day that was a blue green ninjas deck with not one, not two, but three Kappa tech wreckers wow. in my pile. Gross. And that was like the first time that I did the true like ninja juggling style thing, like, you know, pick up the tech wrecker, bounce something, then pick up my uh, specialist with the tech wrecker and then kill something. That was pretty nuts. Um, ninja but I have, juggling. I have not heard it described that way. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it feels like to me. It's just like, how do you know? How do you hold all these ninjas? And they're just like, you're picking one up after the other. Uh, yeah, I, I so that that deck felt good to me. But blue black as like aggro tempo. I don't know. I've not. It's it's been a little finicky for me to like not only come together in the draft, but then also it feels like you do have to draw stuff in the right order. I guess that's just sort of the case for aggro decks in general, right? Well, this one a little more so than most, but I always get smashed by my opponents playing blue black. My blue black is my kryptonite of my control decks because it takes me a while to get on board because all of my twos are sagas. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, that shout out to Bamboo Grove Archer. That's what we were just talking about before the show. Yeah, that's that's the two drop of choice there. Yeah, pretty sweet. I've been uh, I've been splashing around. I've been trying to do some shrine shenanigans, playing some more shrine stewards, letting shrines like pull me towards you know those colors or at least like opening me up to those uh strategies a little bit i'm still not quite sold <laughs> on the shrines myself yet but uh but i'm definitely going to keep exploring this coming week give it time friend give it time we'll give it time so we're going to be talking about multicolor good stuff decks and really just like splashing in general we haven't talked about splashing or mana bases in, in a long time on the show it's definitely a topic we've touched on before and certainly a topic that i'm sure we'll touch on again um, and i think this set is a really good one for talking about 
how to build decks with a third, a fourth, maybe even a fifth color, what that means during the draft, all that good stuff. Um, But before we get into any and all that, a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Lots of great stuff over at the Patreon. Everybody gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord. People get access to some additional pieces of content on our Patreon feed. As you move up those reward tiers, you get access to the show a day early. We record on Sundays, release on Mondays, but some folks get that that special podcast feed where they get the podcast on Sundays. You can even get a private section of the Discord and you can get monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. That's all available over on the Patreon page. And of course, we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they joined. So this week we are welcoming Simon, Jack, Joaquin, Timothy, KFDM, Ethan, Quinn, Oscar, Scuffle, and Matthew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. The show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. CFB's got big moves happening. They're bringing back CFB Pro Plus with a $9.99 per month price point, And that gives you $9.99 back in store credit. So essentially what you're spending, you get back if you're going to spend it on magic cards at CFB. And you can also just subscribe at $4.99. But wait. That's not all. They're adding weekly giveaways for CFB Pro members. Each week, they're going to choose a member at random to receive an awesome prize. And in March, they've got a Neon Dynasty set booster box, as well as an Innistrad double feature draft box and more. In addition to that, they're going to be inviting one CFB Pro member to an exclusive box break just for them. So that's a lot of stuff. But I think even more than that, if you're not already, I would consider subscribing to CFB Pro for a couple reasons. You're going to get articles from Ethan, Alex, myself, a host of other pros making content over there. And I think, you know, we've gotten a lot of feedback recently on the LR LOL showdown, other things like that. If you like that stuff, CFB is what makes that possible for us and us creating content. So please give back to CFB, support them, get on CFP pro. I love that pitch. You just like really transported me to like early nineties watching infomercials on TV <laughs> late at night. Like just like, but wait, there's more. If you act now, we'll slash these prices. I loved it. That was a, that was great. And use code LOL, all caps. Don't forget. There we go. Use that code. Uh, All right. Let's get into drafting decks with three to five colors. So Ben, Ben, I wrote a lot of these show notes and I just got Ben like peppering in his like LOLs throughout as he, (laughs) you know, saw my PTSD from getting deck techs on stream a lot. But I think we don't talk about mana bases enough, I think, as in terms of limited community or whatever or on the podcast we don't talk about it enough and i think it's really important to touch base on it so let's begin with this premise ben that limited mana bases are bad say it isn't so <laughs> we've all built two color decks with a 10 7 or 9 8 split between two colors that have had problems you have your opening hand with three planes and four green cards and you have to mulligan and that just happens some amount of the time right yes 100 percent. always if you're me <laughs> <laughs> right. But Ben's mulliganing all the time. That's that's why you had to move over to best of one. Is so you get that sweet, sweet hand smoother. So if we begin with that premise of two color mana bases are bad and we don't spend enough time thinking about a mana base for a two color deck, right? Especially in color intensive sets like Throne of Eldraine or even sometimes in this format, right? Like having Twisted Embrace or Assassin's Inc. in your red black deck can be kind of weird if you're all mono red one drops, right? Simeon Slings and Rabbit Batteries and Kamano Faces Kakazan. That's going to be awkward, right? Is 10-7 enough of a split to support all of those red one drops, but also support your double black removal spell? Well, and do you even want 17 lands in that deck? And then your sources get even more awkward. Right. So yeah, because you have such a low curve, maybe you can shave a land. Maybe you have a ecologist terrarium or something. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of other things. So then are you going 10-6? I don't know. I don't generally want less than seven sources if I have a double pipped card in that color. So like... That's just something to consider, period, again, for just a two-color deck. So when we're adding an additional color, we're adding strain to the mana base to support additional colors, and that comes with a risk, right? A splash for a single card is risky because there are times when you're going to draw your splashed card without a way to cast it, and that's a mulligan, right? Because you have a card you can't cast. Then there are going to be times where you will draw your splash source, and not the card you're splashing. And that's going to impact your ability to cast the non-splashed cards in your deck. So in your white-green deck, you're splashing red for something, and you draw that mountain, and you don't draw a forest, that's a, a huge problem. So you're not being able to cast your green cards in your hand. So that's a mulligan. I feel like you have a window into my soul right now. 
<laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> just mana bases and it not working out. I've been playing a lot of multicolored things and losing with cards stranded in my hand because I don't have the right color. <laughs> so that sounds like this is the perfect episode for you, sir. <laughs> um, so the so those two situations are risky, right? And the risk of those two situations has to be outweighed by the times when you assemble splashed source plus splashed card. So the splash has to be worth it. So what does that mean, right? What makes a splash worthwhile? You definitely need powerful cards to splash, right? And cards that are impactful later in the game. So splashing something like a two drop is way worse than splashing something like a six drop because the six drop is going to be much more impactful, which is why Imperial Oath, which has been sort of the hotness, is such a good splash card. If you're not familiar, this is the five and a white sorcery that makes three samurai tokens and then lets you scry three. Something like that is the perfect splash card because it's very impactful and it's at its most impactful later in the game when it comes down on six mana. So you're fine casting it on turn 10 still, you know, if you're a little delayed finding that white splash source in your blue green deck. So definitely powerful, definitely cards that want to go later in the game and often a need for splashing as well. If you don't need to splash and you've got plenty of power level, sometimes it might just be better to play a streamlined two color deck. But if you are have holes in your deck that you want to fill, Needing to splash can fill those holes, but then you're assuming some of that risk that Ethan was talking about earlier. So so three sort of categories I think we can sort of put as as things we're trying to check off for what makes a splash worth it. First of all is power, right? The, the power of the card needs to be so high that it's like not good to leave it on the sidelines. Something like Temeshi or Yugen Defends the Temple or Fable of the Mirror Breaker, something really powerful like that. And then we're talking about timing, right? Because you need time to assemble splash source plus splashed card, which means you don't want something that's at its best on turn two, right? You know, you, maybe you've got a white blue deck with some enchantments. Are you really going to splash Weaver of Harmony, the, the green two drop that, you know, gives your enchantments plus one plus one, and then you can also copy abilities of enchantments? That's probably not going to be at its best on turn seven, right? That's a card that you really like to have earlier in the game. And then necessity is what Ben's saying. Do you need to splash? Does the card provide something that your deck is lacking? Do you need a win condition, a removal spell, card draw, whatever? Like what thing is your deck missing that potentially your two colors are not providing for you? And I think in the context of this episode, we're going to define splashing as one single colored pip outside of your base two colors. Yes. Double pips are not splashes. People ask on stream, oh, should I splash behold the unspeakable? That is not a splash, right? That is a pile. (laughs) And we'll talk about that later. Like you, and I've definitely seen like seen a lot of screenshots of this. And, And part of my like, you know, impetus for doing this episode is I feel like a lot of the scuttle about the format has been play more colors. It's like easy to splash. Like people are having success with a lot of these like multicolor soup decks. And that's partially because the format is a little slower. There's a lot of power at, at common and especially at uncommon. So you can see powerful cards worth playing a lot of the time and there's good fixing. Um, so I think all that, you know, is a good recipe for playing these cards or playing these style of decks, but it comes with a cost. And I think like people who've not had their whatever, their six driving lessons and are being given the keys to a car are perhaps <laughs> not well equipped to do something like this. So, you know, you can see a lot of people doing things like where they have these like sketchy little mana bases or whatever. Um, and I don't know if that's often going to be, you know, your optimal build or, or the thing that a lot of people should be doing. Well, I think it's important to distinguish between splashing and the pile and the pile is a thing and it's an art form to perfect (laughs) and i think you know completely different from being a base two color deck that's splashing one or two cards of a third color those are two separate equations and the more you start to move towards multiple splash cards or you know four colors five colors you're definitely in pile territory and sometimes you can get away with slotting behold the unspeakable into your base black green deck in this pile style archetype but there's definitely a way to do it responsibly and we'll get to that for sure and the other thing that i would throw out there is be wary of cards that seem like they fit the bill of power timing and necessity but have a sort of caveat like think about some rares like restoration of iganjo that's very powerful that's the saga that lets you find a planes you can discard a card return a permanent with mana value two or less uh from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and then chapter three flips into a three four that whenever it attacks or blocks you make a one one that's very powerful but part of the power there is that you are in a white deck you're always going to go find a planes 
Well, if you only have one planes in your deck, let's say you've got, you know, an Uncharted Haven of planes and an Ecologist Terrarium to splash Restoration of Iganjo. Well, is that really worth it? Because maybe you've drawn the white source already to cast this card before you get the like search up a planes thing. It's not going to be great. Something like Lion Sash as well. Part of the power from Lion Sash comes from being able to activate that multiple times in a turn. Is that really worth splashing? Another rare, Goro Goro, Disciple of Ryusei. That's the red two drop that you can make five five dragons if you are attacking with a modified creature. Well, that's a, a you know just a red card, right? Single red pip in the cost, but it's double red to activate. Blade of the Oni needs double black to reconfigure. So don't take cards just at face value. Be like, oh, this is a powerful card and it's a single pipped cost, well, there's sometimes a little bit more to it than that. Well, even in addition to the double pipped activations on both those cards, you need to think about like what makes the card powerful, right? Some about what makes the card powerful is it coming down on time. That's one of the most common miss splashes I see is that we know a card is good because content creators have said, hey, this is good, or you've looked at a tier list or whatever, and you see that it's a B plus or an A minus. Well, I got to splash it. But some of what makes it a B plus or an A minus is the fact that it's hyper efficient, right? That's one of the things on the LR grading scale is hyper efficient removal or creatures that are way above curve, you know, on the vanilla test or whatever. So them coming down on turn three or turn four is part of what makes them powerful. And that's not going to happen when you're splashing the card very often. Yeah, and that, that loops us back to that second point, which is timing, right? Is is this card going to be impactful on turn seven, turn eight? And that's one of the reasons that Imperial Oath, again, is just so good because you're happy to cast it whenever you can assemble that planes. Um, how many sources do you need to splash a card, Ben? General wisdom, conventional wisdom, as it were, is three sources for one pip. And what we talk about as a source would be, you know, it could be three lands. Like, let's say you have seven basics, seven basics, and three basics of your other color. That would be three sources, but that's a disastrously negative <laughs> impact to yeah. the rest of your cards. So you generally don't want to do that. The ideal thing for splashing is to have one basic and two ways to search it up. Like maybe you have two ecologist terrarium and one off color basic. That's three sources because you have two ways to find that one source that's in your deck, give you a total of three or even better. Maybe you have something like an uncharted haven, a basic and an ecologist terrarium in this format. So three sources for one colored pip or one card, four sources for two cards, five sources for three cards that you want to splash and anything past three. And I would even say sometimes if you're splashing three cards, you're not really splashing anymore, but that's kind of the conventional wisdom. And if you want to go way deeper on this, Frank Karsten has some incredible articles on Channel Fireball about building mana bases and when you can expect to draw your mana based on how many sources you have in your deck. Yeah, that's a great, great recommendation. So I just want to hammer home this point that Ben made of you really want the sources to impact your mana base as little as possible. That example of a 7-7-3 basic split is terrible that like (laughs) it would be really hard for me to imagine ever like having a card that's so powerful that i think i have to splash it and have a mana base like that i would just much rather have a consistent deck because you're just signing up to lose some number of games based on that mana base right 100 percent. i just did a modern horizons 2 draft in person yesterday with some friends from high school and it was really fun so we team drafted we had six people and one of my friends had drafted a blue-black deck and had drafted the Esper Planeswalker. It's black, blue, white, uh-huh. uh, minus three exiles, a creature, whatever. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to put this in my blue-black deck. And I was like, do you have any fixing? He's like, what's fixing? It's <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> well, like other things than putting three planes in your deck to help you cast that card, which he did not. But we ended up deciding that that card was powerful enough that we just jammed two planes. And he had a bunch of ways to draw a discard because that's what blue-black does. So we figured he could mm-hmm. always you know, looted away if he couldn't cast it. But something like that is very dicey and not recommended. As we're about to talk about the ways that Neon Dynasty has to fix and, and what our feelings about them are, let's talk about card draw. That That's a phrase that I think some folks throw out as, as a meme or in jest or there's some truth to it. Is card draw fixing to you, Ben? No, I don't think so. I mean, some teeny tiny percentage, but you still want the sources. And honestly, looting is more important than card draw. I think if uh, the more you get into the pile territory, looting so, so, so valuable because if you don't hit what you need, you can pitch the cards you can't cast to try to find cards that you can't cast. Yeah, and this goes back to if you played in Theros Beyond Death, there was like the, the wombo combo or just like the key pieces for the play all the best cards deck were Traveler's Amulet, which was an artifact that let you search up basic lands. And 
Thrill of Possibility, which was one in a red, discard a card, draw two cards. Um, and being able to do that, just be like, all right, so I, I'm going to dig towards my splash sources or my splashed cards, or I can pitch them when I'm like, ah, I'm looking at this dream trawler in my hand and I'm nowhere close to casting it. Let's get rid of it. Right. And I think if you're doing this sort of thing, you should follow the rules very carefully first and then start to break them, right? Because when you're following the rules, it's still not going to work out sometimes for you. And you're going to see, oh, you know, I splashed this card with my three sources, like Ethan and Ben said, but I still was stuck with the card in my hand and couldn't cast it and lost as a result. And so like what I was talking about that situation where I drafted with my friends, and we only did it with two planes, we didn't even have three sources (laughs) for this one card. But some of that's dictated by the power level of the card too, right? There's all these different meters that are going up and down as far as the risk analysis, because that card probably wins the game if you can cast it. And he had, you know, say four or five ways to loot it away. So there's all these different sliding scales. But I would say, if you are new to splashing or new to multicolor soups, Try very hard to follow the rules first before you go off the rails and do things that are a little more irresponsible. I, I love that. I like I like people with their training wheels on when they're dealing with these multicolor decks, first of all. Uh, so let's talk about the fixing that's available in Neon Dynasty. First and best are the lands. So Uncharted Haven, the tapped land that lets you pick a color and it taps for that color, and then the ETB tapped gain lands. Um, these are your best options for fixing because they don't take up actual spell slots. And that is, again, if you've not played cube before, that's like the big level up is, oh, drafting lands in cube is like really powerful because you get to play more of your draft picks. That is a hard concept, I think, to actually understand. Like, why is that good? I was doing a coaching session yesterday and someone, I think they were in blue, white and wield the blue legendary land in the draft log we were looking at. And I was like, I think you want to pick that up because blue white's so open you're gonna make playables and then you just get to have this additional option of a spell land here this is a great pickup for you and so any land that you get to draft and put in your deck that does add to the power of your deck and when you have spells that are mana sources in your deck right if you have things like a network terminal or whatever the cards we're going to talk about that you know, bumps up your mana sources in your deck to like upwards of 20, right? If you're running 17 lands, then have three to four ways to make mana of your spells, well, you can have a tendency to flood. That's a big issue in a lot of these style decks is that, oh no, I have too many mana sources. So that's why drafting the lands is so, so key. Yes. And Uncharted Haven is way better than the dual lands in this scenario because we're talking about pips, right? So Uncharted Haven, let's say you're playing three colors, you're splashing one color. Uncharted Haven counts as a source of both of your main colors and your splash color. And I mean, there's diminishing returns the more and more demanding your color requirements are because it can't obviously act as all three at once. But that's really powerful. And then the dual lands obviously count as one source of your main color and one source of your splash color. But the hidden benefit of things like Uncharted Haven is they also make your mana base better for your base two colors, right? We yes. talked about nine, eight things being bad as far as mana bases go in limited. And Uncharted Haven, you know, let's say you play eight, seven and two Uncharted Havens. Well, all of a sudden you're at 10, nine instead of nine, eight, which is big game for your limited mana base. And I just want to like really spell this out for what Ben's talking about in terms of Uncharted Haven counting as three colors. So let's say you're splashing, you know, Tameshi in your white black deck. So you need three sources. So you've got Island, Uncharted Haven, and Ecologist's Terrarium in that deck. Great. Okay. So those are my three ways for blue. So when I'm counting up my mana, let's say I've got eight swamps, seven plains, one island, one haven. Well, that haven counts towards, I can go, okay, I've got nine white sources or nine black sources, eight white sources now because I'm counting haven towards each of those colors plus haven counts towards the splash. And you can even loop in terrarium to that too, right? Terrarium doesn't have to find an island. Terrarium can count as well as, you know, any of your three colors. Right. So you're actually 10, 9, 3 in that scenario because terrarium counts as one of each of your main colors as well, which is much better than, you know, 7, 7, 4, where we talked about running, you know, Something like seven (laughs) swamps, seven plains, three (laughs) islands. That's just unacceptable. I agree. Well, let's talk about Ecologist's Terrarium, because I think this Beyond the Lands is my favorite way to fix in the format. Yes, it's colorless. It's two mana. It oftentimes can just replace your 17th land straight up. Or, you know, if you get two, you can run 16 lands with the two terrariums. Huge bonus points if you care about the artifact laying around on the battlefield or the plus one plus one counter that it can provide going on one of your creatures. And I think as far as draft pick orders, I would put 
Terrarium ahead of the dual lands. I think my priority would go Uncharted Haven 1, Terrarium 2, and then probably the dual lands. Well, and I think part of that is because it's rare that, you know, you'd have to get about three of the dual lands and they'd have to line up perfectly for them to, you know, warrant you not playing a basic land in your deck for your splash, if that's what we're talking about. And so Terrarium already sort of like locks up two sources, right? Because you go, okay, well, all I have to do is put one basic in my deck. And then because I have Terrarium, that's the second source. And so it's sort of like drafting two sources for one in a way. Yeah, I think Terrarium is just great. And I think Terrarium, Haven, the Dual Lands even, I'm bumping those up in my pick order just because of the possibilities that they lead to in the format. I do find that, you know, you can, there's a lot of powerful stuff, at least at Uncommon, that's single pipped, even if it's two mana, you know, even something like a Life of Tashiro Umazawa, it's great early, but it's also can be pretty darn impactful later in the game too. And you might find that you are in a blue white deck where you want to splash that or whatever. Um, and so I think that you can pick up those cards pretty reliably. They're not just at rare. And so that makes mana fixing pretty also desirable. And so I think, you know, you want to bump those up in your pick order and t- definitely take them over, you know, replacement level cards for sure. Yeah. The next way to fix on this list we have is network terminal. This card is rapidly becoming a pet card of mine. This is three mana for the artifact that can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And then you can pay one tap, tap this and another untapped artifact to loot, draw a card and then discard a card. I think this is really strong, especially in tandem with Ecologist Terrarium. If you are going really deep on, you know, maybe the pile style decks where you're in three, four or five colors with a lot of splashes, because one of the things that it does really well is, you know, we were talking about maybe if you have all this mana fixing you have a tendency to flood out sometimes. And Network Terminal has a built-in way to prevent that, assuming you have other artifacts in your deck. Yeah, for sure. And of, of course, we have to shout out that the, the Wombo combo of Network Terminal with Containment Construct. I just got to do that this past week as well, and it is so gross. Yeah. I mean, playing Construct on turn two and then playing the Modern Age on turn three feels like cheating. Right, because you're just drawing two cards a turn. It's your personal howling mind. You just pitch a yeah. land, play a land. Yeah, small drifter. I love it. Um, I think... There's a pretty, I don't know about significant drop, but the colorless ways to fix, I like quite a bit more than the green ways to fix. Yes, I think that is true. So next up on the list, we have Greater Tanuki. This is the 4GG for the 6-5 Trample. It has channel for 2 energy uh, to go find a basic land and put it onto the battlefield tapped. I, I think this is a bit overrated. Both halves of this card are fine, but it's a significant drop from the other options in my mind. And I'm not super happy about it like it's three mana but it doesn't do the thing that network terminal does like i'd much rather just have terrarium if i'm trying to go find a basic land and i think you can just get better stuff at at your top end as well i agree i never want to play this card almost but i do randomly die to it sometimes which makes me think there might be a little bit more there but i feel exactly how you do that it's overrated and not great on either side it's big and sometimes you know especially if you're like us on this show and we think removal is terrible sometimes you don't have a way to kill it and that can be a problem (laughs) but like i don't know it's just like keyword big dumb well i think the more the issue for me in the decks i tend to draft is when i'm doing this style of deck I just have way better cards than Greater Tanuki as my top end. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and then I have better fixing also. So neither half of it really belongs in my deck. Well, and and the other thing is that like, it, it's it's a quite a bit to ask to do nothing on turn three in these decks. One of the things we'll talk about is like, what are the pieces of the recipe that you need for these style of decks or when you're splashing, more so when you're doing the like full-on pile multicolor soup decks. You really need defensive speed, right? You need to be able to operate from the stance of, hey, I'm probably going to be behind, but if I can get to the late game, I'm going to win. And doing this for nothing on turn three feels kind of bad to me. And you can't quite slot it in along your curve like terminal, where like on turn four, you can do terminal plus a two drop. Like you can't do that with Tanuki. And if you're not familiar with defensive speed, that's an LR concept from back in the day, where when you're playing these control decks, you still have to have a good curve you have to try to impact the board with defensive cards like bamboo grove archer on turn two and maybe you get a saga turning on turn three that's going to help you stabilize a couple turns later but you can't just fill your deck full of three four and five cmc cards and expect to get there and live i want you to talk about this next card because i i actually like your point here and i'm I'm, i think i'm going to change my stance on grafted growth Ooh, we've got a convert here grafted growth yeah this is i think one of my pet bad cards in the deck when i'm really (laughs) going off the rails so this is two and a g for the enchantment aura 
uh, enchant land. Whenever it enchants a land, that land gains tap, add two colors of any one color that you choose. And it also puts a plus one plus one counter on a creature when it ETBs. So this is not, I think, similar to Greater Tanuki premium fixing. But I think one of the things that it does do really well is if you are going towards this pile style deck where, you know, maybe you're playing four colors, five colors and your base black green, but you're still trying to jam a behold the unspeakable in there or whatever. You know, you really have a lot of demand on your mana. Grafted Growth essentially casts all of your cards. And so having one source that casts all of your cards is pretty strong. And I think the first time we ran into this was in HOU, right? With Gift of Paradise, maybe? HOU had Oasis Ritualist and then Gift of Paradise was an Amonkhet. There we go. But there are cards like this that let you, essentially, if you get three of them, splash multicolored bombs, which is really powerful. And especially with Grafted Growth in this format, you don't have to have three Grafted Growths. You can have two Grafted Growths and a Shrine Steward, which can search it up. That's the five mana, three, two, that when ETBs, you can get a Shrine or an Aura. And Grafted Growth is an Aura for Enchant Land. So the dream scenario, I think, is having Grafted Growth, two Shrine Stewards, and then other aura type removal spells that you can go fetch up with your shrine stewards if you already find your grafted growth. Yeah, and that does open up, you know, we talked about you can't splash behold the unspeakable. Well, you could kind of, right? If you had two shrine stewards and a grafted growth, that's three ways to double splash from one card. And so you can start to like mess around with, you know, really stretching that mana base. Again, Ben Ben's going to caution you, you know, follow the rules first, then break them. Um, but, you know, I was initially saying that I'm hoping to not put this card in my deck. And then you wrote this about like, hey, I think these decks usually want Shrine Steward and it combos with that. And I agree with the Shrine Steward aspect of, especially when you're getting into like four or five color territory, I think Shrine Steward's kind of tied the room together. Yeah, really like Grafted Growth in those style of decks. But again, that's advanced splashing. <laughs> that's splashing 303 or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we'll get to that uh, next quarter. Uh, last card on this list I want to touch on is Commune with Spirits. It's a single green sorcery. Look at the top four cards of your library. You can take a land or an enchantment from them and put it into your hand. This is not mana fixing. I see people talking about this like it's fixing or like it's partially <laughs> fixing. This is not fixing. You can maybe count this as like a tenth of a splash source or whatever. But in the same way that like card draw is not mana fixing, this is not mana fixing. There we go. I got a little Ethan Sachs there. I wanted more Ethan Sachs on the double pips or not splashes point. So behind the scenes peak here, double pips or not splashes, it like cards like Behold the Unspeakable is in all caps in our show notes. <laughs> and when I read Sorry. it, I read it in your voice. My head was great. <laughs> Just my like pitchy Jerry Seinfeld yelling. Yep. Um, <laughs> so when building multicolored decks, I also think, again, following the rules, I still want to make sure that I'm a base two color deck. A lot of times when I have a deck tech that's like, oh, we're, okay, we're splashing or whatever. If I'm seeing like two drops in three different colors, <laughs> that's a problem, right? Because I don't know what your bait, like, I don't know what you think is going to be reliable about the deck. What am I going to be able to do most games? And then here's what I'm going to be fine casting later on in the game. So I'm, you know, really thinking about what my two drops are, what my early game is, and that I want to have like eight-ish sources of my main two colors. I think, again, maybe a caveat could be just deep in one color, right? Yeah, I think if you are super deep in one color, that's also fine. And I think usually in this format, that color is green. So if you're super heavy green and you've got like 10 forests or whatever, and you're kind of pseudo splashing like your one color splashing blue and black, I think that's also an acceptable place to be to have a really responsible mana base. Yeah, I like that word. I like the phrase responsible mana base because that's what you need. You Like, I just want my decks to function, you know? For sure. It is my pet peeve when I lose to decks that have two drops across three colors, <laughs> like what you were yes. talking about. Like just some random derpy coiling stalker running around <laughs> in what is clearly a base blue black deck. Like that tilts me to no end when I lose to those decks. <laughs> so what, what cards would be acceptable splashes? I do think there is a two drop that I would think is an acceptable splash, and that's Kappa Tech Wrecker. You know, I yeah. put that in, in, a, in a blue black deck. If I had some fixing, I'd, I'd try and jam that in there. For sure. That is... Definitely 100% on the must splash list. I think Gloom Shrieker as well, the one black green 2-1 menace that when ETBs you get to return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. That card is one of the most common splash cards for me in the format. You know, either I'm base black or base green and splashing the other half. And that's a card that 
when you start a draft with a card like that or a card like Kappa Tech Wrecker, I think you really want to remind yourself, I want to play this card if at all possible. And that doesn't necessarily mean that green has to be a base color or that black green has to be your base two colors. And so then I think all of a sudden, even more so Uncharted Haven and Terrarium bump up in your pick order. You want to start thinking about, I could be black white, I could be green white, I could be black blue and still play this card. Like, I think you want to make sure that you're getting that card in your deck more often than not. Yes, and that means investing picks and fixing for sure. Yeah, uh, Imperial Oath we've talked about. That's the six mana sorcery at common. That is currently been the top performing common in the entire set, according to 17 Lance. I'm eating my words. I said if that was ahead <laughs> of Spirited Companion, I would become a data convert, but I'm going to break my oath. <laughs> it's not yeah. going to be true. I will be picking Spirited Companions over Imperial Oath and losing. <laughs> I've also liked splashing Naomi in some blue-black decks as well, or or I guess maybe even blue-white decks as well, but decks that can support the artifact plus enchantment thing if you're not actually ending up in black-white. Um, I think that that can be a good splash at your top end. Well, and another thing that Naomi does really well is it stabilizes you so uh-huh. hard if you get the trigger, right? A 4-4 and a 2-2 plus the threat of attacking and making another 2-2, that means you are stable Mabel when Naomi he comes down for sure long reach of night is another one that's good splash card i think this card has gone down a little bit for me now that it's fixed shocking <laughs> when it works as intended that's the saga that when it etbs your opponent has to choose whether they want to sacrifice a creature or discard a card but if they have no creatures on the battlefield they can choose to sacrifice still and then not discard a card and it flips into an 04 that attacks and has menace and gets plus x plus o equal to the number of creatures in your opponent's graveyard i think that is a fine splash powerful card but it has gone down a bit for me i think another card that that may not be an intuitive splash but is quite good again along the lines of a naomi splash is machiko's reign of truth the saga that gives a creature plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact or enchantment you control that's the first two chapters and then it flips into a creature that has power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts and enchantments you control I mean, Machiko's Reign of Truth in a just a base, whatever, white-green deck, you don't want to play that on turn two, right? That's generally the card you want to play last, enable some attacks, and then be a big beater um, afterwards. So I, I have liked that as a splash as well. Right. It is definitely not a two-drop. And I think a word of warning, I have splashed that card a lot. And it's really not that powerful if you're behind. So I think yes. you want to make sure that you're able to stabilize and not put it in a super greedy pile. That is not the the pile type splash. That's a your base two colors and you're splashing Amichiko's Reign of Truth and another type of card. But it really, I think, has a tendency to underperform a little bit in the four and five color soup decks because you're so often behind and just clawing back to stabilize. And if you stabilize, you win. And Mishiko's Reign of Truth doesn't really help you stabilize. That's a really good point. And something that we haven't touched on yet, but like the more aggressive your deck is, the less inclined you should be to splash. Because again, if we're thinking about assembling splash source plus splashed card as taking time, that's part of the equation, right? Is that timing? Aggro, the more aggressive your deck is, the less time you want the game to have, right? You want the game to be over quicker, and so you don't want to splash. Well, and it's a disaster in an aggro deck if you need every card to win as quickly as possible to have a card stranded in your hand. That is worst case scenario. For sure. Shrines also, very good to splash. I've been very happy with two shrines, you know, maybe even one on color and one off color, depending on what they are. And I think if you are shrining, The Abzan Shrines are definitely the most powerful ones. The blue and the red, definitely less so. Yes, I agree with that assessment completely. And then I think lastly is just rares. And we know we're not going to list them all. We talked about a few like Fable the Mirror Breaker, Yugen Defends the Temple, whatever. Single pipped rares that are like going to be good, certainly on curve, but are just good at any point in the game. And I would put those sagas there. I'd put Tameshi on that list, etc. Those are cards you're going to want to splash as well. Completely agree. All right, so that's a lot of theory about, you know, (laughs) what to do when you're splashing and how many sources and blah, blah, blah. But we got to put that into practice during the draft, right? First, you got to draft the deck that you're going to do all this splish splashing around in. So what sort of things move you towards wanting to splash? Or when do you know, hey, I should pick fixing? I I definitely want to splash. When do you start to move into a three color deck, a four color deck, a five color deck, and why do you do those things? So I think one is you start off with one of the aforementioned powerful cards, something like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and then Red's not open, or Gloom Shrieker, and then like Black Green specifically isn't open, but you can get deep into Black, right? And I think along those same lines, something like Fable of the Mirror Breaker, maybe it's not even that Red is cut. 
but maybe Red's weak, as we know, in Neo, and not bad, but certainly I think plan B or plan A is getting into those Sultai Saga colors if people are passing you the good uncommons. So maybe mm-hmm. you start with a Fable of the Mirror Breaker and you feel like Red's not quite doing the thing, and you just start to steer down a green root planning to splash Fable of the Mirror Breaker from the get-go because you don't want to be red. I think that's also certainly reasonable. And then I think another option is you get weak packs, right? So I think there are two different ways that that drafts start. One is you have a card that's really powerful, and that's going to warp your pick order in some way of like, you know, if we think about, I think this ha- that happens a lot less in this format, but something like Crimson Vow, that happened a lot. You know, you start with Dreadfeast Demon or Toxril, and you're going to start making concessions towards weaker black cards in future picks just to ensure that you can play that bomb. In this format, I think that happens less. But then the the reverse is if you don't start off with something powerful, you know, the, the equivalent is like a Fable of the Mirror Breaker or whatever, Yugen defends the temple. If you don't start off with a card like that, then you're just picking the best card out of each pack, right? You're taking this, this good common, this fine uncommon, whatever. Well, that's a sort of weak start to a draft. And you just want to end up spending picks on things like Ecologist's Terrarium or Uncharted Haven anyway to invest in the future of your draft or like be able to say, hey, well, at least I can play this removal spell I picked up, this Intercessor's Arrest. And now I'll just set myself up for being able to play the best cards that I see. Right. So either you get strong packs, you get a great rare, or you get weak packs and you pick fixing. And those are the two most common ways. So if you start with a strong card and get cut, then you got to pick the fixing later. And if you get weak packs early, you get the fixing early. And then you get the benefit of when your neighbor passes you, you know, some awesome card, you get to pick it and play it. And I think a third less common option is that you can go into the draft planning to draft a multicolor control deck because you think that's good in the format because the fixing's available. And I do think this is a format where you could just generally assume that you are splashing. And I think, honestly, if you're playing control, like true control, the Saga control decks, you should probably assume that you are splashing. And that means you're going to need to invest picks and fixing. Well, and I think one of the main reasons that that is a viable strategy in this format is the existence of Imperial Oath. So often these decks or splashing around or whatever, multicolor control decks need cards at higher rarity to like, you know, warrant the risk that you're putting in your deck to you have the power to be able to like justify splashing or stretching your mana, whatever. Well, Imperial Oath just gives you that at common a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're going into the draft, assuming that you want or are going to play three to five colors, what what are you trying to do there? How, how, how do you navigate that? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is bump fixing up in your pick order quite a bit. And I think taking lands to make your mana good is a good thing. And I think a lot of people just have a negative feeling about spending picks on fixing sometimes, but it's one of the most important things you can do when you're drafting more than two colors. So if you're somebody maybe that doesn't like taking lands or doesn't like taking an ecologist terrarium highly, try framing it mentally as investing in the power level of your draft flexibility, right? So it's powerful to take a dragon early and draft that color. You know, let's say you get the blue dragon and you draft blue, your deck's going to be good. But you get a little less flexibility during the draft. But if you pick fixing highly and pick fixing early, it opens up options during the draft, Mm -hmm. more paths that you can go down during the draft. And we know from playing magic with modal cards that having options is powerful on a magic card, but you're constructing your whole deck here. So the more options that you provide yourself during the course of the draft, that's really powerful too, because it gives you better odds to end up in a better deck during the course of the draft. So the earlier you take that fixing and the more aggressively you take that fixing, the more power level you have during the draft. And yes, there's some luck in that you have to get past powerful cards then to splash, but the flexibility and the options that it provides you is really strong. Yeah, amen. I Look, th- that whole sentiment of investing in the future of your draft, I love it. All right, so let's put this into practice and take a look at a draft law. Are you ready to take a seat at the round table, Ethan? I am, sir. All right, pack one, pick one. See the following cards as options. There's an Uncharted Haven here in the commons. That's the land. ETB's tapped, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a color, and you can tap to add a mana of the chosen color. Also in contention, Okiba Reckoner Raid, Black, Saga, chapters one and two. Each opponent loses one life, you gain one life, and then it flips into the 2-2 Menace that gives your vehicles menace as well. In the uncommons, we've got Rabbit Battery, red for the 1-1 Equipment Rabbit with haste. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and has haste, and it's got reconfigure for a single red. And I think that's probably the only uncommon in consideration. There's a Leech Gauntlet, the 2-2 Lifelink Reconfigure Equipment. There's Invigorating Hot Spring, that's the red-green uncommon build around. And then in the rare slot, Boom Baby, we've got Mythic Rare, Blade of the Oni, 
one and a black for three one with menace equipped creature has base power and toughness five five has menace and is a black demon in addition to its other colors and types and it's got reconfigure for two black black yeah blade of the oni is nuts i would slam it here but i think it is important to take note that that uncharted haven is in the pack you're probably not actually considering picking it here like you're always taking okiba reckoner raid over uncharted haven pack one pick one but knowing that you maybe have some small chance to wheel that or there's also a tranquil cove in the pack just noting those fixing options early is important i think if you want to level up as a drafter yeah for sure all right so we've got blade of the oni moving on to pack one pick two you see the following cards as options commons are pretty light there's a scoured barons that's the white black dual land and again probably not in contention but just clocking that as we're going through the draft and then i think best black card is maybe chain flail centipede that's the two and a black two two whenever it attacks or equipped creature attacks gets plus two plus oh until end of turn and it's got reconfigured two there's also a lethal exploit the one in a black instant target creature gets minus two minus two until end of turn and an additional minus one minus one for each modified creature you controlled as you cast lethal exploit I think a, sh- a sign of how far Lethal Exploit has yeah. fallen for me that Chainflail Centipede is even closer, maybe even better than that in my mind. But commons are pretty junky and there's not good commons in other colors, particularly either. And in the uncommons, there's Bronze Plate Boar, uh, the two and a red three, two trampler that has reconfigure five. And then touch the spirit realm, two and a white for an enchantment. When ETBs, you exile up to one artifact or creature until touch the spirit realm leaves the battlefield. And you can channel it for one and a white to blink an artifact or a creature. Yeah, I really like touch the spirit realm and I do like the the modality of it as well. I mean, I know we're talking about a lot of the time, like, oh, removal is not great in the format, but I do think touch the spirit realm, you know, I'm still going to play that in my deck. Yes. Slamming touch the spirit realm here. The power level of that is just way above anything else in the draft and Mm -hmm. very nice that scoured barons touches both of those cards and you've got i think a real chance to wheel it yeah for sure all right moving on to pack one pick three with a blade of the oni and a touch the spirit realm in the pile see the following cards as options there's intercessors arrest in the commons that's the tuna white pacifism aura arrest aura that lets a, a permanent not attack block or crew vehicles or activate its activated abilities unless they're mana abilities. And then in the uncommons, we blow that away with Besage Regis Skyward, the three and a green saga that lets you get two forests. Chapter two, put a land from your graveyard on top of your library. And chapter three flips into the XX reach, where X is equal to the number of lands you control. You know what's not a good card to splash, Ben? What is that? Besage Regis Skyward. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little awkward, right? Because yeah. you really want to be able to get the forest. That's come up to me too in deck text, and I'm assuming that's where you're bringing it up from. Exactly, yeah. So it's, I think, another like secret card that looks like, oh, it's a single pip, and I know it's powerful, so I could splash it. But it's like, no, part of the power comes from drawing two forests, and you can't do that if green isn't your base color. Right, and if you do splash it, you kind of somehow need to jam four forests. So maybe, maybe a pile card, but definitely probably more of a base green card. Yeah, well, and I think the overlap there is that a lot of those those pile decks, those decks that are like true whatever four or five color soups are generally base green. And so Besage Reaches Skyward is good there. And I agree that like Intercessor's Arrest is fine and keeps you white with Touch the Spirit Realm, but Besage Reaches Skyward is too powerful to pass here. All right, so you're looking at these three cards, Blade, Touch the Spirit Realm, Besage Reaches Skyward. What's going through your head right now before we even get to pack one, pick four? So ideally, if I can play all of these cards, I'm base black green splashing touch, right? Because Blade of the Oni is another card that's like, oh, it's single black, but not really because its power comes from the reconfigure costs that's double black. So if I want to play all three of these powerful cards, which I do, then I'm black green splashing white. Right. And if I think you have to abandon one, you're hoping to abandon probably Blade of the Oni. I think Besage reaches Skyward might be better. Isn't that crazy? That might, it might be better. Yeah, it just, just depends, I think, on what you see. If you're feeling like uh, green's a little better than black, whatever. I think Blade of the Oni's pretty nuts. Yeah, you can probably um, do any two-color combination yeah. and you're happy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, I, I won't be mad if I get pushed off of one of these colors and I can't splash, whatever. But that's what I'm thinking. Like, if I want to maximize these three picks, then I'm black, green, splashing white. For sure. All right, moving on to pack one, pick four. You see the following cards as options. There's a Sunblade Samurai, maybe as some potential fixing for that Touch the Spirit Realm. Four and a white for the 4-4 Vigilance. Channel two, discard this, search your library for a Planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle, you gain two life. And I think just to talk about that card, that Mm -hmm. is its more frequent mode, right? To put it in your two-drop slot and channel it, gain two life, search for a Planes, that does everything you want as far as fixing if you want to search up a Planes. 
Well, it makes white such a, that's why I really like white as a support color, or it makes white so much easier to splash. That's one of the reasons Imperial Oath is just like, you know, it's a colorless card in a lot of people's mind. You know, you can just put put a Plains, a Terrarium, a Samurai, and an Imperial Oath in your deck. And then if you've already found the Plains, then maybe you can just cast the Samurai, right? Like, it's really nice to get that modality on the splash. Yes, for sure. There's a Ninja's Kanai as a colorless option. One artifact equipment. Equip creature has one tap, sack the Kanai, deal three damage to any target, and it's got an equip cost of one. If you want to stay black, there's an Azumi Blade Blesser, two and a black for a 3-2 that gets Death Touch and Menace if you control an artifact and an enchantment. There's Grafted Growth, the 2G enchantment aura that when it ETBs, you put a plus and plus one counter on a creature or a vehicle you control. And Enchanted Land has tap, add two mana of any one color to your mana pool. No great white options. And then there's still an Ecologist Terrarium here. Two mana for the artifact. When it ETBs, you can search your library for basic land, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle. And you can do two taps, sack the Ecologist Terrarium, to put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. Yeah, I'm thrilled to see the Terrarium here. And honestly, I wouldn't be mad about taking Sunblade Samurai here if the Terrarium wasn't in the pack. Yes, I think you're definitely taking Samurai if there's no Terrarium. But with Terrarium here, it's just a better piece of fixing, right? Yeah. For sure. I mean, you already know that you have a card you want to splash, but also it's just it's just good. Like the, this card, the power of this card just comes from it replaces a land for you a lot of the time. It's an artifact hanging around. It's not hard to like care about types, not hard to care about modified stuff. If you want the counter like Terrarium just does so many small things. Well, right. And let's say that, you know, in some hypothetical alternate universe, <laughs> our draft is two green cards and a black card. Like maybe we've got a Capitec Wrecker instead of Touch the Spirit Realm or whatever. Okay. You're still supposed to take Terrarium out of this pack, even though you don't have a splash card yet, right? Because the rest of the cards in the pack are Cs, maybe a C plus, but not even really. But even if there were some C plus here, taking Terrarium is so powerful this early because it lets you have a lot of flexibility down the course of the draft. And then maybe you do abandon Blade of the Oni and, you know, do something else or you just have so many options if you take fixing out of packs where there are replacement level cards because it just time and time comes up again that more powerful cards are better you just don't win games with the c's anymore well sometimes you have a draft where you don't see that like powerful splash option until pack three pick one and by that point it's kind of too late because you have to be like well i have the next seven picks basically to invest in two pieces of fixing and I have to one, they have to hopefully get past me and two have to exist in a pack where I don't need to take something better than that fixing. And so you're often like left with a, "Eh, I can't do it. I just have to take this like whatever C grade common over this powerful splash option. When you take fixing at this opportunity where you're just taking it ahead of replacement level cards, like can you play Blade Blesser in your deck? Can you play Ninja's Kunai in your deck? For sure. But Terrarium just adds so much to the future possibilities of your draft that it's a slam dunk pick here. Right. And maybe you don't end up splashing, but you're not going to miss those other cards and you would a thousand percent miss terrarium if you were incentivized to splash preach all right so we slam terrarium here pack one pick four see the following cards as options pack one pick five in the commons there's an okiba reckoner raid that's black for the saga chapter one and two you drain and gain and then it flips into the two two menace and then there's nothing really else there's a bamboo grove archer one and a green for the three three with defender reach um, you can channel four and a green to destroy target creature with flying. That's really all I'm seeing here. There's a network terminal as far as fixing three mana for the artifact taps to add one mana of any color and you can one tap it and another untapped artifact you control to loot. Yeah, Reckoner Raid is just by far the best card here. And we're already incentivized to be base black with Blade of the Oni that I would take it here. Yep, that is what I did as well. Moving on to pack one pick six, you see the following cards as options. This is an interesting pick. Yeah. There's several things that are reasonable here. There's an Imperial Oath, five and a white for a sorcery, make three two two white samurai creature tokens with vigilance and scry three. There's Greater Tanuki, four GG for the six five trample, and you can channel for two and a green to search for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield, tap, then shuffle. And I think Web Spinner Cuff, also in the conversation, two and a green, one four reach. Equipped creature gets plus one plus four and has reach, and it's got reconfigure four four. Yeah, I see that you've selected Web Spinner Cuff here, and I like that card. Certainly, I think more than most people, and more than the data suggests. I think that the the game in hand win rate on that card is not very high. But in defensive green decks, which green decks often are, I think this is not a bad card. 
But honestly, looking at what we've got here, we're already sort of incentivized to splash white, or maybe we just move off of green altogether and are black white. I think I would take oath here. Yeah, I think this is more what you want to do with this pick. So if you're taking uh-huh. oath, you're locking up a top end finisher type card. If you're taking web spinner cuff, you're locking up a very good defensive speed type card. So I think it just depends on what you want to prioritize. I can certainly see Oath being the right pick here. Yeah. All right. I selected the web spinner cuff. So moving forward, we've got Reckoner Raid, Blade, Terrarium, Cuff, Touch the Spirit Realm, and Baseju reaches Skyward. Moving on to pack one, pick seven. Again, another super interesting pick here with a lot of options. This is clearly an old draft because I would not make the pick yeah. <laughs> that I made here. Uh, but I do think this draft really illustrates this splashing stuff, which is why it's interesting to go over. So there's a jungle hollow here. Uh, the ETB tapped green, black, gain land. There's a Sunblade Samurai, the 4-4 that searches up a planes when you channel it for two. There's Shrine Steward, and we know from earlier in the draft, there is a Grafted Growth running around. So that's kind of interesting for that option. There's Season of Renewal, two and a green for an instant, choose one or both, return target creature or target enchantment card from your graveyard to your hand. And then there's also a Lethal Exploit running around, one on a black instant, target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Yeah, I see that you selected the exploit, but you said you wouldn't take that here. I think I would just take Jungle Hollow. Spoiler alert, I know you get this pick 15 it wheels out of this pack so that's pretty (laughs) sick for you but i think i would take that here yeah i don't know i would take any of the other four cards ahead of lethal exploit don't know what i was doing there i really struggle with when to take the first season of renewal in this format because the first copy if you have good cards is busted but it has significant diminishing returns after that But if you don't get one, it's kind of a disaster if your opponent has one and you don't. I would be tempted to lock up Season of Renewal here, but I can certainly respect the Jungle Hollow pick and I have no idea what's right. No, I think that's it's really interesting. I mean, also, it's a lot different. Like, had I taken Imperial Oath last pick over the cuff, then Then I'm taking taking Sunblade Samurai, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely changes. Yeah. Very interesting. All right. So we're going to move forward with Lethal Exploit, unfortunately. Um But moving on to pack one, pick eight, there's nothing really here. There's a network terminal and an Arachi merge keeper. That's the one in a green one, one Uh, that taps to add a green and adds green, green. If it's modified, I honestly think I might take the network terminal now in the in the past. I selected Arachi merge keeper, but I think these two mana cards that ramp you one just don't pull enough weight to be worth including as a card. You'd rather just have actual lands or fixing. I think getting to turn four ahead of schedule is not that valuable in this format. I agree. Because the games go so long, you're just so often just down a card when all is said and done by playing those mana dorks. So clearly, botch some picks in this draft. Um, Wish we'd taken a network terminal there. And then pack one, pick nine, boom, baby. You wheel that Uncharted Haven, which is incredible. Yeah, you get hooked up with lands. You get Haven here. You get Scoured Barrens, the black-white land. And then, like we said, you get Jungle Hollow, the black-green land last. So you're like just all set up even from this pack just to be able to play black, green, white pretty handily. Well, and we get that grafted growth on the wheel pack one pick 12. So then future shrine stewards, if we want to go into full on four color, five color pile territory, can turn that on for us. Yeah, absolutely. So not only do we have powerful cards in Besager Regis Skyward, Blade of the Oni, Touch the Spirit Realm, we have all the fixing already to be able to do whatever, which is just such a powerful spot to be in in the draft. Yeah, I think we would be remiss in this format, Ben, if we didn't talk about drafting true five colors so what happens when you open the kami war pack one pick one how do you do it (laughs) and you want to go deep i mean again this is more advanced splashing so if you're if you're dipping your toe in the waters of playing three colors for the first time and trying to do it responsibly i don't know if i would slam the kami war but it is certainly possible to do that in this format and even actively good i think if Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing. So I would say you really need good fixing. So we go back to that list. You know, your pick order is probably something like Uncharted Haven, Crazy High, Ecologist Terrarium, not far behind that. Network Terminal goes up a huge amount. Dual lands that are half on color go up a huge amount. And one thing to note about those ETB tapped dual lands, they're not great if they're double off color, even if you're five colors, because they're not searchable. And there's some real tension there with how many 
true off-color lands you want to put in your deck. Yeah, you really don't want to have what is effectively a colorless land in your deck. It's why, going back to that bad mana base example of seven basics, seven basics, three basics, right? It's the same thing. Like the, the three basics that are your splash color are effectively colorless lands for the rest of your deck. And that's what the double off-color dual lands are as well. Right. And so I think network terminal. And then I think if you're going really deep, the grafted growth shrines to our package as well. That's not really necessary for the Kami War, but certainly if you are just leaning in and doing full four color, five color soup, the grafted growth shrine steward package can be really good. And we keep talking about like what are, you know, off color duels or touching one of your colors. Going back to that idea of you want to be base two colors. That's how you're going to have a functional deck despite splashing around and trying to play this five color saga. Right. And defensive speed we talked about earlier. You want your defensive speed in those base two colors. And honestly, in this format, I kind of like cheap removal better than I like trying to block. It's really hard to block profitably. You know, ninjas have a lot of ways to disrupt you from blocking. The red decks can oftentimes push or swarm past your blockers or have cheap interaction of their own. So I think if you can just point and click and kill the opponent's threats, that's often a better way to have defensive speed than trying to block with cards like Bamboo Grove Archer. But that being said, something like a Bamboo Grove Archer, the 1G 3-3 Reach Defender, is premium defensive speed. Yeah, that, I mean, Moat Piranhas, man. Moat Piranhas with Reach, too good. And normally cards like Bamboo Grove Archer that can't attack are not worth it. But there are so many powerful cards in this format that you can afford to essentially mulligan if you need to with a Bamboo Grove Archer not being relevant in the game because your other cards are so powerful that they can make up for the fact that you're down a card. For sure. What are the other pieces of the puzzle? Card advantage, I think, is a huge one. Uh, card draw is going to get way better the more good cards you have in your deck, which is why something like in Vintage Cube, card draw is really powerful. You know, something like Compulsive Research, where you draw three and then discard two unless you pitch a land. That is premium because you're drawing busted cards. And I think if you are playing these control decks in Neon Dynasty, you have enough good cards that card advantage is very good. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think you really wanted, I think, to come from sagas a lot of the time. I was just thinking about this the other day that like, I haven't played Thirst for Knowledge, I think, at all yet. Yeah, it's definitely not nearly on the level of sagas because those are two for ones that impact the board. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I would just rather have Modern Age every time than Thirst for Knowledge. And I do think if you are going for this whole multicolor, you know, three, four, five color thing that is base two colors and has good defensive speed, you really want ways to loot if at all possible. So network mm -hmm. terminal, modern age, if one of your base colors can be blue, or if you have enough blue sources that you can reliably cast the modern age, even if it's not one of your base two colors, being able to loot or rummage away extra lands or cards that you can't cast is a huge safety tip for, you know, being able to functionally cast your spells. Because essentially your mindset with this deck needs to be, if I don't die, I'm going to win because I have way more powerful cards than my opponent. So you just have to figure out how to not die and route to casting your powerful spells. And you have to make sure you have those powerful spells, right? You're not gonna make <laughs> yes, sure, that is you know, an essential recipe. <laughs> you're seeing the Kami War, but then you're also seeing other cards, right? You're seeing those rares that we talked about, those really powerful uncommons, whatever. You've got Imperial Oath at common, but you got to make sure you have the power level to back up this sort of intricate recipe. And I would say just as a final point of order, that that's not necessarily a tier one thing to do in the format. It's really fun. Like I just drafted a deck that has all five colors, you know, has Life of Toshiro Umazawa, has Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Gloom Shrieker, Besager Reaches Skyward, Long Reach of Night, Behold the Unspeakable. It has the Shrine Steward, Grafted Growth. It has Season of Renewal. Like the only thing it's missing <laughs> is loops. It's got Imperial Oath, you know, and it, my mana base is functional. And the deck went one three because I lost my mana some. I played against aggro decks, others. And then I drafted a streamlined red deck after that and went 7x, you know. So I would say the format's fast. And if you think, you know, you listen to this episode and you think, I'm going to do this. This sounds great. Like word of caution, like it is, it's really fun. But sometimes you just get smashed by aggro. Sometimes you don't draw your splash colors. So again, if you're new to the whole splashing thing, I would start base two colors and try to responsibly splash 
a couple cards before you really start to go off the deep end. And and the sorry, our true, true final point here is I do think these <laughs> decks are a lot better in best of three than they are in best of one, because in best of three, you have the opportunity to, if you are in an aggro matchup, or if you're you know on the draw or on the play for games two or three, you can finesse things a little bit. You know, we had a showdown video a few weeks ago for CFP's YouTube, where I had a Kami War deck. And then against Ben, I think in game three, I took it out. I took out Kami War and took out my Splash because I was like, Ben has a better late game than my deck does. Ben has a better late game than my just Kami War. So I need to get under him and sideboard. And so you don't have that option in best of one. And I think because the, all the, the game losses matter as well, you can just have a feel bad of like, hey, I got drafted this sweet deck and then it went one three. And that's going to feel bad, I think. Right. And I do think, speaking of best of one, I do think the meta right now, at least in plat diamond, while I'm climbing back to mythic, seems to be leaning aggressive. It feels like the format has shifted a little bit and, you know, the sagas are a little more contested. And so the really good players are looking towards red, looking towards black and are being a little more proactive to try to punish people that are doing, you know, exactly what we're talking about in this episode. But I still think (laughs) a very timely episode in that, like, this is a thing you need to know how to do to be good at magic. And it's definitely going to be right to do it, you know, some amount of the time in your draft, especially if you do get, you know, those sagas, maybe you're in a pod that still doesn't know that Besager reaches Skyward is great and you get it fourth pick or whatever. You need to know how to splash to take advantage of all that stuff. For sure. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, if you want to support content creators like me and Ben, head over to CFB for any and all purchases and use code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. And you can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr.'s spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. you there you cut out oh yeah i i I didn't say anything interesting (laughs) (laughs) just mumbling and rambling